What is up, everybody? Welcome back to a lovely new episode of the Run Your Mouth podcast, where I'm grow- glowing green to showcase our professionalism. Of course, most of you people listen to the show, so you didn't need to have that information. You didn't need to know that. And you know how you can get a professional broadcast on this level? It's because we've got sponsors like PremierPharma.com. PremierPharma.com, if you own a uh, uh, doctor's office, you own a pharmacy, and you're you're getting sick and tired of fleecing your patients, charging them outrageous drug companies that rebate checks get sent back to the people of CVS and Walgreens so that all those people can have all the money while all your patients are just trying to save up their money, unable to afford lunch just so that they could buy their stupid medicines. Well, if you want to opt out of that racket, you can go to premierpharma.com and start getting your uh, patients some generic medications at better prices. All right, let's get into the podcast because I have... Uh, I got a lot to discuss. It's been a full week since uh, since I've gone. I I think it's been two weeks since I've gone live. My God, it's been a long time since we got to sit down and just hang out amongst ourselves. Uh, first uh, update I'd like to get into just because it's been a little while is um, I have no clothing. Uh, I believe that my uh, local laundry establishment, I someone there realized that they really liked the way that I looked. There's some person living in Stanford, Connecticut that's been following me around my little area and going, man, I like that short, bald Jew's style. I like the way he dresses. And so they went into that dry cleaners that I drop my stuff off once a month. I don't know what your system is for laundry. I've given up on doing my own laundry. I live in a building. We ain't got no laundry machines here. I'm not living that good life with a wife in the basement because you keep them close to the laundry machine. I'm pretty sure that's the way you do it when you have a wife. I, I don't have those kind of conveniences in my life. And I'm not, I'm, the, the days of my life that I'm drinking, tr- pretending like I, I read books, dumping coinage into a machine and spending a whole night in a laundromat, it's over. Because when I was pretending like I was going to live my life that way, you know what I always end up doing? Just not having clothes and buying new clothes. At one point, I realized it was more expensive to pretend like I was going to do my own laundry than just using the drop-off service. So I'm a drop-off service person. You know what my system is for drop-off service? It should be pretty simple. It should be, you just throw your clothes into the hamper, and when the hamper gets full, you put your hamper in the car and you drive it to the thing. But no, I'm, I'm, I'm too lazy even for that. I push the laziness all the way till the urgency of when I'm three days past having clean underwear, and then you realize, okay, now I got to figure out how to get all my clothing there. And so now you've got a full month's worth of clothing that you have to actually get to the place, and then you got to figure out what you're going to do between that and the two days when you get your stuff back. So- I, I, and then it becomes the game of like, you know, how far you can drive your car before you fill it up again. You guys ever play that game with yourself, seeing how big of a bill you can get at the gas machine thing, and then doing the math to see just how empty your tank was. If you guys don't live your life this way, you're not having enough fun. I just want to say, if you're like a normal human being and you're listening to me describe the way that I refuse to take action on anything until I'm completely forced out of necessity to do it then I'm just telling you, you're living your life wrong because you're missing out on some self-imposed excitement that could really ramp up how much anxiety, even the smallest of tasks and the simplest of things uh, could bring you. And anxiety is really just like an uh, an alternate version of feeling excitement over things that are otherwise mundane and boring. So I'm just uh, some tips, some tips for how to live your life in a more exciting fashion than maybe the way you're currently doing it. So anyways, I can't prove it, but I'm pretty sure they gave me back like half my laundry the last time I was there. And now I just have no clothes. No. By the way, I think when like offices and like uh, businesses forced you to like 
adhere to a dress code, that was probably a good way to get rid of bad employees like me. Because on week two, you know, I'd be like, do I really need a tie? And then by week three, you're still wearing the same suit. And they're like, dude, do you have any other suits? This one's disgusting at this point. And then you're like, all right, I'll buy more suits. And then you end up wearing the suits with the wrong pants. Like the, the way I used to, when you went to synagogue once a week and you're like throwing everything out of your closet, trying to find the one clean shirt or the, the, the pants that are the wrong pants for that suit jacket, but you want to pretend like they match anyways, because maybe you can get away with it for one day because, hey, it's a funeral. Uh, that was probably a pretty good system for weeding out people that really shouldn't even be working at the company anyways. But anyways, I'm pretty sure I got like half my clothing back. And now I really have to like actually because I keep getting back from like gigs and then having like two days and being like, all right, I'm going to go out and buy new clothes. And then and then I just don't. And while we're on the topic, I think shorts without pockets should be illegal. I'm going to discuss like a couple just simple changes I should think uh, change the world. Like one is, dude, I sit next to a stinky bitch on an airplane recently. Like and she wasn't even like an overweight stink. It was like, I don't know, showers and sewage kind of stink. I mean, like armpits, like that, that smelt like fucking, I don't know, old grilled cheese that someone was dipping into like an onion soup or something. I mean, it was like, I literally, she sat down and I was like, I might throw up and that would probably smell better than what's coming out of this lady's armpits. Get it together or at least wear sleeves. You didn't earn your right. Too many women out there think they've earned the right for, for sleeveless. Listen, we'd all like to be that comfortable all the time, but you can't. Because apparently some 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 we're going to end up with legislation that everyone needs to wear sleeves all the time because you, you got some stinky bitches out there. And I guess they're just good enough looking that no one's willing to tell them that 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 they're, they're bringing some stink onto an airplane. And that should be, you know, the same way they should just pretend like you were too late to board. I, I, I don't know how that works. They tell you it's not your group. It's not your group. It's not your group. And then they just close the door and go, sorry, the door's closed. Now we can't let you on. And then they hope that maybe you figure out that the issue was that you stunk too much to get on board the airplane. But anyways, I was trying to talk about why pants, shorts without pockets should be illegal because that's what I was down to last week was wearing this one pair of shorts. And then you guys ever go anywhere? Ain't got no pockets. That's how you lose stuff. You, you just put you end up putting down your wallet like in the in the, the top lid of the shopping cart. And then and then you you leave it for and you basically just bought groceries uh, for the next uh, person. Here's another change I'd like to see in the world is uh, we have to rename the country. I believe it's pronounced Niger. I believe not even Nigeria. There's that that's a country. I'm OK with that one. But then you got the other one that's just straight up Niger. And every time I see a news story, my first reaction is kind of giggle. And then to be like, oh, no, no, no that's not what this news story is about. It's not about and it's about the country. Uh, and so I feel like they should just they can make a they can make a simple change on that one. I, whoever next overthrows that government, just make that your first change. And I'll be I'll happily recognize you as the new leader of whatever you rename the country to be. Uh, all right. Here's another thing. We got to destroy these worms. I don't know if you've got worms from 40,000 years ago. That are living in the permafrost, you just just die, burn it. I don't even care if that worm talks. I don't even care if that worm pretends like it's God. How do you know that that worm's not what destroyed the dinosaurs? You got proof that it was actually a meteor and not some talking evil worm? You don't know what happened. That, that maybe that we, we don't even know. Like for all we know, all this alien talk is actually that they're uh, it's not aliens at all. They're talking about creatures from other dimensions, and maybe that worm or whatever the fuck else is in the permafrost is what was in there before the people built the ice walls to freeze them and keep them out and keep all these monsters and evil creatures out. And what you're just gonna let 
people pretend like there's global warming while they show up to the permafrost and they just use blow dryers using more electricity, making the world even hotter while they're burning the blow dryers to melt the ice and pretend like we've got an issue from global warming. And then you get these creatures coming out of the permafrost that are from 20, 30, 40,000 years ago, and then they're coming back to life. Does that sound like a good idea to anybody? Just sight unseen, kill the worms. Simple. I know Bill Gates might want to study them and turn them into food, but I think this is a simple enough solution. I mean, if Dave, has there ever been anything that we could bring more clarity on than kill the worms coming out of the permafrost? That's a real news story. You guys might think I'm making that one up, but that was a real one. All right. Uh, here's another uh, thing, gripe that I have is uh, businesses that will stack things that I don't like together and then charge me more money for something. So like, for example, it used to go to bowling alleys and bowling alleys had a particular aesthetic. I might've talked about this on the show before. You would go to a bowling alley. It had a very particular aesthetic. It had those plastic chairs. Uh, it had a shit bar with some real cheap booze. Dude, when I was in high school, I used to did pound Long Island iced teas at the, uh, at the bowling alley. I don't even remember really bowling. I think I pretended to be on the bowling team so that I could hang out late Thursday nights while none of us were getting laid because we went to all boys schools. But then I would get hammered on a Long Island iced tea and watch my friends go bowling. And then who's really winning? The people doing that or the people who are getting laid? These are questions that only aliens coming out of the permafrost dressed as worms might be able to answer. But anyways, bowling alleys used to be like dive bar aesthetics. You go to a dive bar, you want to be in a dive bar. That's the point of a dive bar. I don't want to be in a fancy dive bar with more expensive pricing. You can't bring in piss smell. That's authentic and it makes sense if you're at an authentic dive bar, right? Same thing with the bowling alley. A bowling alley is supposed to be an old shitty place. That's kind of what makes it fun. Even if you get one with like the fucking scratch pencils, that's part of the experience. Wherever that built-in smell is from when they used to be able to smoke there and then you glazing over every single shoe with the Lysol and then whatever they do to make those floors all fucking slippery and shit, that's what makes bowling fun. It was the fact that the place kind of sucked and had those little bucket plasticky chairs. Then you come in with couches, you replace the old classic rock with like the new, I don't even know why you guys call it music, but you do. And y'all, y'all cheer to it. Y'all enjoy it. And then on top of all that, I think I got to lower the mic. So I'm hearing, I'm hearing myself gain up a little bit. Uh, and then on top of all that, then all of a sudden you get lights going. Now I don't like the lights. And now, I, and now, and now the beer is more expensive and the place just sucks. But I've noticed them bringing that culture to more places than just that. Like recently when I was in uh, Cleveland, I went to a bagel store. You know what a bagel store is supposed to look like? Come to New York City. I'll give you bagel store recommendations. You hit me up. I'll let you know the bagel stores that you go to. A bagel store is supposed to have bagels and baskets. They're supposed to be right in front of the counter. There's supposed to be a counter in front of that displaying all the cream cheeses, all the stuff that you're going to put on the bagel. Maybe there should be a separate counter with the display of the pastries that you guys are rocking. And then you get some coffee up to the side. And then you get some dude who is so good at like you get one guy in the back who's good at cooking, one guy up front who's really good at taking orders and just keeping things moving. That's a bagel store right there. And maybe on the side, you get a couple glass cases with some beverages. There you go. That's what a bagel store is supposed to look like. Keep it moving. Sell me a delicious bagel. Let's move on with our lives. It's not supposed to be a brunch spot. It's not supposed to have fancy wood. It's not supposed to have overly bright lighting. It's not supposed to have those shitty tunes that you guys started playing in Bowling Alley. And you know what it's definitely not supposed to have is really attractive 22 to like 27-year-olds sitting there having brunch and laughing and swinging and fucking swings. Who's on swings while they're eating? Who is doing that? Firstly, I would hurt myself. If I was trying to like sit at a swing that's at a bar and then not like just fully swing like an idiot, 
I would end up forgetting I was on the swing trying to pull like the jump move. And then you just jump into someone else's table. Why are we putting up swings at bars? Let's go back to when things you didn't stack all the things I didn't like into places and then charge me more money for it. I don't like that trend. All right. Um, talked about the stinky bitch on a plane. That was, that was, that was, that was important. That was important. All right. Uh, let's talk about this. Firstly, porch store guys, porch store is coming up. I got like 20 locations. I mean, we're, we're basically, I'm doing one more weekend with Dave Smith and then all of August is, uh, uh, running around the country solo. I don't know if I have the Salt Lake City gig up yet, but I'm doing Reno, Nevada. I'm doing Sandpoint, Idaho. I'm doing Portland, Oregon. I'm doing uh, I'm doing Seattle, Washington. Uh, uh, where else are we going? We're, we're going to be back outside of um, we're back at Andrews Field, which is uh, I mean it's outside of Nashville. I'm playing Birmingham, Alabama for the first time. We're doing outside of Louisville. Uh, ton of porch tour shows going on, dude. Porch tour is the funnest thing in the entire world. It's, it's just a blast to be able to hang out on people's yards, drink beers with all you guys, meet the people that hang out in the chats, do like a full hour of comedy and the most offensive shit that I do. And then on some of the shows getting to do live podcasts and, uh, really just kind of relaxing outdoors and, uh, getting outside of the apartment, have a good, good time with all that said, because porch tour is the funnest thing in the world, dude. Hilarities. Oh my God. Cleveland, that, that, that's a cool club. I would say the best comedy room we've done yet from touring quite a bit of the country is probably the old school Zanies Nashville, which is like a small box of a room. It's got a high stage, perfect sound, perfect lighting. That that might be like the best like comedy room. But Hilarities is the first club that we've done. All the clubs, very cool, very nice. We're talking about like, uh, we're comparing things that I love. We're comparing my top 10 slices of pizza. So we're getting into the nuance here, right? But this was the first one where they had like a really fancy restaurant and then some dude who was just like, order more food. You want more food for your room later? We're not looking. I'll put this into a box and send you home with it. And uh, that was that was a pretty impressive operation. Um, so shout out to uh, Hilarities. Uh, I can't wait to be back there. Um, mostly just to pig out and have a good time because it was, uh, that was, a that was a very cool spot. Uh, all right. Last thought that I had, uh, this is a sketch. I think I want to film was, uh, we, on the last porch tour, we filmed a little bit of the, uh, backstage action of me, uh, setting up and interacting with hosts. And, uh, firstly, we had a lot of fun doing it. And I also noticed how many, interesting and exciting moments were actually taking place from running around doing comedy in odd spots that we weren't like uh quite grabbing and how interesting the hosts are so i do hope to film more of that because the little bit that we did i thought was fun and interesting and i also thought that there was a lot of uh like funny moments that could the problem is i hate being a schmuck with the camera go all right guys let's stop let's let's see if we can recreate that one it's it, you, you just instantly feel like the asshole I used to like interrupt a party to take pictures it's just gross like you just want to be there and just do the thing. But then all of a sudden you realize you live in a world where you got to be your own publicist and you got to be putting out all the stuff so that the people will buy the tickets. So anyways, I was at a, I, I, at some airport the other day and then there was some guy who was getting out of his car and someone else was like filming him. And I've watched like a lot of UFC embeddeds. I've watched like almost like uh, I'll watch quite a few of like even boxers when they film the stuff and like, there's always airport action. They're always recording the airport action. I'm always watching the airport action because they're like, look, this guy got it. Even though he's the fucking UFC star, that even that guy's carrying his own luggage at the airport. There's like something interesting about it. 
But then I saw this guy who's like, he's just getting out of a car and someone else is filming it. I'm like, and then you start getting curious. Like, who is this guy? Why is this guy being filmed? Well, who cares that this guy's being filmed? And then you're like, why is it even interesting that someone's filming the guy who's doing the exact same thing? We're all getting out of cars. All of a sudden it's important that this guy gets out of cars. And I want to, I want to like literally dress up like fucking royalty and get a film crew to film me getting out of a car at an airport and just yell at the people. They're like, I'm being filmed because I'm more important than you people. I know that you all got out of cars here, but no one cared when you did it. They only cared when I did it because I'm more important. And that's why they were filming me and not you. All right, let's get into the episode. But before we do, let's plug Sheath. Sheathunderwear.com. Most comfortable underwear that's ever graced the balls of men. I'm out here. It's summer, surviving the desert heat, roaming the country. And it wouldn't be possible without sheathunderwear.com. With cooling fabric, holding everything in place, absorbing that summer sweat. Guys, if you haven't checked out sheathunderwear.com and stepped up your underwear game and you're still just out there in this summer heat with your starchy, shitty underwear with holes in it that's just rubbing fabric, creating fucking burns and beam between your legs, there's a better way. You don't need graded little, uh, you don't need graded red legs. You don't need to live that way. You can just go to sheathunderwear.com, use promo code RYM, get 20% off and have comfortable underwear and uh, smooth legs that, you know, make your wiener and everything fresher so that, you know, women might actually like you. But you still have to fix your personality to get to the point where they might realize that you've actually invested in underwear that makes everything uh, fresher. All right. So let's get into some news stories real quick. Uh, here's a couple of the topics we're going to do on today's episode. Firstly is uh, they tossed out Hunter Biden's plea deal. It was all worked out. They showed up and the judge looked at it and he had to throw it out. He told them that they had to rework it because it had atypical provisions because apparently the judge had never seen a look the other way clause. That's a first for him when he was reading through it. Uh, so that one's pretty fascinating because Hunter, he thought he was free and clear. He thought he was good to go. They thought that they had drafted a thing that because they were letting him off for the gun stuff. He wasn't going to be prosecuted for anything. And the judge looked at it and went, wait a second. I'm hearing a lot of conversations about this guy maybe taking money from China and other countries, shoving it through all sorts of shell corporations, filtering 10% back to the big guy, 20% to the cousins he's sleeping with. And how come none of that? Is he protected from all of that? Or are you guys still going to investigate that? All right. So I understand maybe he didn't pay all the taxes on the stuff he was lying about because he was deducting his hooker costs. But what about all this money I'm hearing about floating around through the shell corporations? Are you saying that even if he's investigated for that, he's be getting a free crash on other crimes because of these crimes? And the prosecutors were like, yeah, of course. I mean, that was the point of this whole deal. I mean, the defense was. And then the prosecutors were like, wink, wink, judge. We, we didn't say that outright. I mean, that what the way it was supposed to work. But obviously, we can't just say that. And so like, well, you guys are going to have to go back and rework the deal. And then uh, one of the big things that the Republicans are yelling about now is uh, all of the uh, the shell corporations. Look at all these shell corporations that Hunter Biden had. Money came in and went through 25 different shell corporations. And, you know, that might not be proof of being guilty as much as just being the coolest crackhead, because that, that's fun. Instead of being the CEO of one company, you create 20 shell companies. Now you're the CEO of 25 corporations. You get to go on a date or walk into like a business meeting and be like, I'm not going to take this shit. I'm the CEO of 25 shell corporations. You think you can talk to me that way? I've got 25 shell companies. I don't want to hear that. Uh, next news story was uh, Trump deleted a video from Mar-a-Lago because uh, apparently, you know, the prosecutors, they need full compliance when they're trying to find you guilty. If the machine is trying to find you guilty, they need your absolute and full compliance and trying to find you guilty. 
which includes that if you've got television cameras recording your own stuff for security reasons, you're, you're going to have to hand that. You can't get rid of it. You're going to have to hand it over because we need everything we can to find you guilty. And by the way, even if there was nothing to find you guilty of, except for the fact that you got rid of the stuff that we were asking you for to help try and find you guilty, well, then you're guilty of obstruction. So you're guilty for that. So we're going to need your full compliance in trying to find us guilty. I would love if Trump turned it around and he said, listen, I can't provide to you guys those, uh, the, uh, you know, the security footage, because that was the night I was getting peed on. He just, he, he just one, he goes, I, I love getting peed on. And when I'm at home, when I'm back in my Lago, the most beautiful of all the golf courses, women are coming through here. They're peeing on me. I don't want to give that to you. All right. Um, then we got the Mitch McConnell incident. You guys all saw the Mitch McConnell incident. I want to know what prophecy he had while being frozen in front of all of us. Who did he see? Did he see one of these inter interdimensional travel beings and he froze right in place? He was about to make an announcement and some uh, alien interdimensional time traveler showed up right in front of him and said, Mitch, we spoke about this, Mitch. And he just froze right in place. And then he came back almost like what happened in those X-Men movies when they telepathied into the president's brain. And then on live TV, the president's just frozen. But really, he was getting a message from uh, from the X-Men. And I'm not a big enough nerd to know that guy's name. Xavier, maybe? Oh, maybe? I don't know. I've only seen all the movies more than once. But, you know, I didn't read the comic books. And shame on you if you actually know these things. Uh, all right. Before we get into more topics, why don't we take a couple uh, comments from the, 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 the place that I'm taking comments from. You can go to my the Run Your Mouth channel, which is now only for clips such as the summer porch tour clips that I mentioned to know why I phrased it in such a way. EV guitar, 1975. Do you ever find out why you got a strike and kicked off for two weeks? Was it special Olympics joke? Glad you're back on man. Uh, no, they, uh, the, the fine folks over at YouTube, uh, they want to keep you on the defensive and guessing about what might be a problem to really ensure the safety standards for everybody. That's a part of the YouTube community. Uh, so they try and structure in a way that you'll self-censor as much as possible by just telling you that after careful consideration, something that you said may have been in violation of their COVID policies. And then if you ask them for the information so that you could be a better contributor to the YouTube community, they just tell you that what you said definitely did actually violate, but they won't tell you specifically what it violated, except that you're not even allowed to question I guess the current policy from the World Health Organization or otherwise. It's, uh, the language is something along those lines. Uh, but good question, Mr. EV Guitar. All right. Uh, so let's get into some more uh, topics uh, before we do. I think I already plugged Sheath Underwear, right? Did I plug Sheath Underwear? Did I plug Premier Farm already? I'm losing my, I'm losing my mind over here. All right. Um... This is interesting. So first is you got the plea deal that I already mentioned. That went to shit. It does seem like you get more and more information coming out about the uh, Biden family. I think the most recent one, which I only saw the headlines of, was that there was a person claiming that when he was talking to Hunter Biden about business, Joe Biden was on speakerphone. But I just saw that headline. So I'm not 100% on that. You also had, um, you had that FBI document that finally came out. What were some of you got this, uh, the Cormer guy who, uh, you know, he's been the kind of the one leading the charge and the investigations on this saying that we've got proof of all these, uh, shell companies circling the money amongst each other's. And then you've got the judge who, uh, basically said we can't accept the plea deal, which I would imagine 
probably doesn't happen that often that a plea deal is uh, so egregious that the judge goes, I don't know that I can sign off on this. I would think that usually they like to defer to the prosecutors and go, hey, prosecutors, are you happy with this? This is what you were looking for. Then on behalf of the state, I accept it. I would think it was more of a, uh, you know, rubber stamp type operation. But nope, judge actually rejected the plea deal. And uh, it does seem like it's getting harder for Joe Biden to make the claim that he had nothing or no idea what his son was doing or being paid for, which doesn't that even if that's true, doesn't that kind of make you a bad dad? Your kid's involved in illegal behavior and you don't have the kind guidance to go, hey, son, I think you're fucking up here. But he was just staying out of it. I guess that to him is, uh, is good parenting. All right, give me a second. I talked a lot. I need a little bit. I don't run the air conditioner. I need a little water. Entertain yourselves for like 30 seconds while I drink my uh, water with a little bit of ginger in here, which is nice on my tummy. Refreshing. All right. Um, okay. Here was the other one that was interesting. I read quite a bit of the, uh, um, the court, the court documents in regards to, uh, the, there was a court order basically put out that, um, the, uh, Biden administration should not be allowed to talk to social media companies. And it was basically all the incidences in which it was fairly clear that the government had pressured social media companies into, uh, complying with, uh, their ideas of COVID or other topics. It was mostly COVID from, uh, from the top of my mind. And, uh, for some reason, another court redacted that, but the initial court basically said it's pretty obvious that this is going to be proven uh, that they violated our free speech and that they pressured social media companies into removing information that uh, you know they didn't like. Uh, and so, I mean, that court case is still going on. But last week, we had a new addition to that, which was Jim Jordan put out the Facebook files, uh, which were essentially emails in which you have people at Facebook talking to each other about trying to deal with the pressure that they're getting from the United States government to remove information. Now, obviously, you could still say this exists in the air, in the gray area. They didn't actually threaten to shut them down. They didn't show up with guns. They didn't say you had to. They were merely just making suggestions that they believed was in the public interest. They're calling them up and saying, hey, I got a suggestion for you. We're looking at this information on your platform and uh, we think it's not good for people's public health. And so we would prefer if you put out this information instead. And so that's their claim. That's what they're going to continue to claim is that, hey, we've never we've never pressured. We never coerced. We never forced. We were just calling them up and, you know, making suggestions for what the best practices would be. And so with that, I'd like to play the uh, following video for you. Uh, we're not going to play the entire thing, but this was a conversation between uh, Rand Paul and Mitt Romney about government being able to have conversations with social media. Let's give it a listen. The reason is, in my view, it's, it's overly broad um, in prohibiting any employee of the federal government from cajoling or arguing with a member of the media about a story. Um, uh, employees of the federal government have First Amendment rights, too. Uh, and if, uh, let's say, President Trump or President Biden uh, disagreed with something that was going to be written about them, 
this would make it a crime for them to call up the social media company and say, that's a lie. Take it down. You're this is outrageous. That's not censorship. Censorship is when the government shuts something off. This is arguing to try and convince someone else to shut it off. And that's the right people have, whether they're in government or outside of government. Uh, obviously, there are places where people go over the line and, th and make threats and suggest you're going to lose your license if you don't do the following thing. That, if, if it's narrow enough to be defined in that kind of way, I'd happy to take a look at it. But to say that no employee of the government, from the president on down to the millions of people who work in the government, can speak with a social media company or a legacy media company and express their point of view that an article is wrong or that an avenue they're going down is wrong, that would shut off free speech on the part of the, the administration and power or, frankly, employees that have nothing to do with one party or the other. So it, it, in my view, it's a piece of uh, it's an amendment that is overly broad and hasn't considered what's going to happen when there's a Republican administration that wants to argue that the media is saying crazy things about them. Uh, that makes it would make it a crime uh, to do so. Even the press secretary responding to a question uh, saying no. That All right. So I got to pause it here. And uh, this is going to be important for something that we discuss later in the episode. But for people like us, I think we understand any power that you give to the government, they will abuse because they're not an honest actor. And we just understand that. And we can probably, if you had to sit down and do your homework, wouldn't take too long. You could think of examples. COVID might even be an excellent example of why you can't extend the power to government to have emergency powers, because look at what they'll do if you extend that courtesy to them. Or what do they do when you extend the courtesy to them of uh, trying to fitch, uh, fix recessions? What, what Are they going to abuse the power of being able to print money and smooth out business cycles and maybe not actually save money to then spend and just constantly run a deficit? I mean, how often do you give the power to government to do something? And I guess, sure, if they acted in the most honest way, maybe it wouldn't be bad. But we all know that they're not going to. And so I find when you hear people that take the side of, well, government's inherently good. And so you're giving them the word. I think it's more of a question of just power in general. And so we understand that most people, when given power, will probably abuse that power. It, like this, you might as well you might as well argue um, cops should just be allowed to search homes because more often than not, good cops would just be trying to get criminals. And you understand that if they had no reason to be doing it, they won't be walking into those homes. But we understand that cops are out there and this is his tonality. Cops are just trying to keep everybody safe. And the easiest way for them to keep people safe is if they can stop and frisk people on the street because a cop after all, after being trained, after having a sharp eye for what a dangerous individual might look like, do we want to slow down their ability to make sure that that single individual that they flagged as potentially being a danger to the community doesn't have a weapon on them? Surely, if we're vetting the best and the brightest to, um, to honor, respect, and safeguard our communities, and they see someone and they're making the evaluation that they might be a dangerous individual who need to be searched immediately, well, then we better extend the power for them to do so. And sure, we don't think that they should just be able to search anybody. Doesn't that sound crazy to you? Yeah, we know. If we give them power, they're going to violate the power that they, that they give them. And this is what I've been talking about for a while with the Clear Authority Act, that the government should only be able to act with clear authority because then they always get to exist in this little gray area of intimidation and just going, oh, I was just uh, I was just making a suggestion. 
we've worked hard on this vaccine that as far as we understand would be better for your health. And so when we're contacting a social media company to let them know that the joke that was put out might convince people not to get vaccinated, that's just a suggestion to try and save this person's life. Would there be any clearer example than everything that we've experienced over COVID for why we need government to have less power and we need to have more free speech, if nothing else, to do to put apply more pressure on the government to at least validate their opinion or do a better job of selling it? Because if something like the vaccines worked incredibly well and everyone really needed it, don't you think the markets would have figured that one out? Do you really think that like people are so good at lying that things that are good for you won't be good? Like, do you think people could readily convince everyone that they don't want money? I know that money seems good and that you're going to be able to buy. I guess the government's done a good job at that because they take a whole bunch of it. They steal it through inflation and they th- steal it through your taxes. But you think some other individual could convince you, hey, why don't you just go do your job for free? Of course not. The only reason why you would need force and coercion and not free speech is because you want people to do things that are inherently not in their best interest. And the only way that you're going to be able to police the information is if you don't have free speech. And so here you have Mitt Romney arguing. You basically have like you got your people who actually understand government and the way power works and just going, why don't we just make a rule that government cannot talk or, or from what I understand. I didn't actually research the way the rule was written, but we're going to hear Rand Paul in a minute. And this would make sense to me. They're just not allowed to talk to them. It's a separate entity. They're not allowed to talk to them because if they can call them up and all, it kind of makes sense for a free press that like if if you're the president and the New York Times writing a bad article on you, maybe you shouldn't even be allowed to call them up because if you call them up, yeah, of course, you're going to be doing some level of intimidation. There's some level of intimidation. Hey, what are you guys writing about me? And then the guy's a little bit afraid. Oh, shit. The president cares that I'm writing this article. All right, let's continue a little bit more of this. Well, that's wrong. You guys have got that wrong. Well, that would violate the law. I mean, this um, it it just hasn't, in my opinion, this amendment is far too broad uh, and and uh, and and therefore should not be uh, accepted. Senator Paul. The First Amendment really isn't about protecting the speech of government workers. The First Amendment says Congress shall make no law. It's about limitations on government involvement with speech. It doesn't say that where you're employed, that there might not be regulations of what can be said. Every employee of a private company knows you can't run in the office and say your your boss stinks. I mean, there are limitations on your speech based on your employment, and they have nothing to do with the First Amendment because the First Amendment doesn't have really to do with employment. The First Amendment has to do with Congress shall pass no law. So if Twitter says bad things about me and puts up bad things and takes my down, I have no recourse against Twitter. Same with Facebook. I'm mad. I hate that YouTube has taken my speeches down. I don't do business with them anymore um, because I think they're bigoted, biased, and, uh, and, and wrong-headed on this. But as far as threats, what we do know from the Twitter files is that the government was making threats. We also know this from the uh, depositions in Missouri versus Biden. The threats were, if you don't do this, uh, there may be antitrust action against you. These were overt threats, and this is what's going to make this case so strong. When this gets to the Supreme Court, I think that uh, the free speech advocates are going to win. This is a lawsuit uh, began by Senator Eric Schmidt when he was the attorney general. But I think the, the evidence is pretty strong that there were threats. There were threats of antitrust action against the companies if they didn't take the material down. There was also threats of, we will remove your 230 protection. Section 230 gives them liability protection, and they were 
overt threats and threats in writing, basically saying, if you don't take this down, you know, your 230 protection of liability. We're going to pause it there. You guys can go watch the rest of this if you're interested. I think it's pretty clear what happened over the last couple of years and the amount of censorship that exists in the social media platforms. I think it's pretty clear. We even heard Jen Psaki. She said it live on TV that they were, I forget the exact turn of phrase, but that they were uh, talking to social media companies. We heard uh, Mark Zuckerberg when he was on uh, the Joe Rogan podcast describe, oh yeah, we felt pressure to act in a certain way. I think it's pretty obvious. And I think we know that what government will do. If you're in business and you've got the ability to pressure people to only put out the good information about you, you're always going to do that. And so if you're the person with the monopoly on violence and you're the most powerful player in the game and you're running your business and you've got certain policy agendas that are good for your business, such as pretending like the money you're spending is actually helping everyone, pretending like the inflation is just temporary, pretending like you have no control over the oil prices. I mean, you're just walking towards dictatorship. And so we can all understand that, obviously, you don't want to give that kind of power to government. This just makes sense. But then you get the people who will uh, pretend like the implication that government would abuse its power uh, is unproven. But that's but that's exactly what the issue is, is if you allow government to be snaky and apply intimidation without actually breaking the law of wink, wink, nod, nod. Hey, we'd really appreciate if you did this. We all know, what what does that mean when the government calls you up and goes, hey, we'd really appreciate if you did this. It obviously means that they're probably going to make your life a little bit more difficult if you don't oblige them, and it will be a lot easier if you do oblige them. And now it might be that it turns out that they have no power whatsoever, such as, you ever watch a video when someone actually beats a police officer, and by beats a police officer, the police officer goes, hey, what are you doing right here, right now? And like the guy's just perfect, and he goes, I don't have to talk to you. Or, hey, you better roll down your window. And he goes, no, I'm not rolling it down. Here's my license. That's all the information you need. Hey, have you been drinking? I haven't been drinking. Well, I don't smell alcohol. You're outside my window. How do you smell alcohol? You ever watch like these videos when someone actually like, like is smart enough or used to be a cop. So he actually knows the rules and he just ruins a cop life because he quotes exactly the information of, well, that's not the way the law works. It's uh, one of my favorite scenes in Breaking Bad is when uh, Hank shows up. And uh, you got that great character actor and he's actually in the right spot and he pulls off the piece of tape and he goes, well, there's like a bullet hole. That's probable cause. And the guy goes, well, before you pulled off the piece of tape, how do you know there was a bullet hole? Uh, Anyways, I love those videos that come across every once in a while of someone beating a cop. But when you watch those videos, you're watching a cop who's trying to uh, go like He's trying to exert his authority and to think that the government wouldn't always operate in that fashion. We know that they will. All right. Next topic. What else do I got lined up for today? Man, we, we haven't been live streaming enough. Look at the look at this backlog. Uh, we got Sam Bankman Freed got let off for uh, the convenient part that would have left the politicians on the table. I don't think Sam Bankman Freed has gotten totally off. But for some reason, and we're working off headlines more than usual on this episode, but there's good information here, everybody. And feel free to go fact check me. And you probably aren't even aware of these stories. Now you can go Google them. So you're welcome. I just helped you out. Uh, but he's being let off for, I guess, the campaign donation fraud, which sounds like a good way to make sure that the politicians are uninvolved in uh, any of these investigations and get to keep the money. Like all the other stuff's on the table. But the thing that kind of included that a lot of the money went to the politicians and might have been stolen money. Well, you're not guilty on that one because then we might be guilty of taking the funds. So, you know, why don't we look into all the other bad stuff that you did? 
All right, and now let's talk about the aliens, the supposed aliens that can't that might be out there. I'm not that interested in the alien story at this time. I didn't watch the whole procedural hearing, and I'm not that interested in the aliens. The same reason I'm not interested in like some of the more uh, extreme conspiracy theories, because sometimes you end up in the space of like, well, I can't prove that. So how much do I want to have a conversation about it? How much do I want to totally, uh, um, you know, I mean, I pull most of the information out of my ass on the show and that's what makes it such a good time. And it's unbelievable how right I've been not totally fascinated in the alien storyline quite yet. Not saying I won't get more fascinated or I won't do more research, but at the moment I'm more concerned that they're trying to make up aliens to keep us back in our homes or some shit, but it does seem odd. And I had a smart friend contact me and say that uh it's not that the aliens are real but they're actually not talking about aliens they're just talking about something that's non-human that we've interacted with so does that mean like some uh some ai from another dimension interdimensional creatures some sort of god particle i don't even know these are all new and fucking out there theories for me that maybe i have to smoke as much weed as my friend smoking so that i can have a better comprehension of what it means that we're apparently making conversations with international interdimensional beings that may or may not have better technology than we do i did have a uh i'd like for you guys to go check out i did an appearance recently on the uh live from america podcast and uh you know it was very interesting because uh i don't very often get to have conversations live with people with completely different political opinions as my own. And I find one of the biggest advantages of doing so is firstly sharpening your talking points, finding out where you're full of shit, finding out what you can't fully back, uh, you know, back up and, uh, also figuring out what arguments you definitely can win. Um, and I feel that I, I kind of had two thoughts at the same time. Uh, so firstly, I was very excited to do that podcast. Cause like five years ago, they used to do a live from the comedy seller podcast, which was my favorite podcast of all the podcasts I was listening to. And at that time I was drinking a lot. I was doing comedy. I never read anything ever. I wasn't using my brain at all. And I actually really appreciated the comedy seller, uh, seller owner, uh, gnome, uh, cause they would like argue aboard. They would argue all sorts of topics. And I actually found that the podcast was entertaining and it was nice to actually use my brain a little bit and follow the arguments. And I liked, even though a lot of times I didn't agree with him, I really appreciated the way that like he broke down information and would argue stuff. I didn't even know he was still, I thought that podcast like went away. I didn't even know he had a new podcast and I ran, I got booked on a show who did the, who does the new podcast with him. And I got excited. I was like, oh, I got to do that show. And I was particularly excited to do that show because I haven't watched or listened to him in a year, but I was like, this guy is a sharp guy. And I don't think we have any of the same opinions. This should be interesting. Um, so one of the big takeaways that I made though, was firstly, I try and stay more in the funny lane. And when I on shows like this, we call it run your mouth. And that's because we get to explore these things. And I try as much as possible not to take too hard of a line on stuff. And we explore things. And I kind of leave it to you guys to also do your home or your own homework. And I find it's about the, the way that we're thinking about information. And more often than not, if you hear me yelling about something, it's when I know for sure people are lying to me, or that information is not being presented in the way that I like. I do find one of the problems with having out there opinions, particularly the way my brain works, is that there's some things that like I'm 100% sure about. And then there's other things that it's like, I know that I read, but I'm not 100% sure where, and I'm not an academic. And so it's like things stick in my brain the same way if I read it, let's say on Epoch Times, as if I read it maybe in the Wall Street Journal. Now, if it's in the Wall Street Journal, I'll argue with that to you 100% is that, hey, that supports my case and it came out of mainstream media. Whereas if it was a Wall Street, I mean, if it was a zero hedge thing 
that was referenced from the Epoch Times. Like, I'll just kind of remember that information. I always remember where I heard it from. So I run into the problem, particularly when I'm trying to argue with people of differentiating the information I have that I know to be like 100% accurate. And then the stuff that like, I think to be true. And then I also am speaking to themes that like, I kind of know I'm right about, but then sometimes the implication that I'm making about the evils of government are, are implications that make a lot of sense to me, but I might not be able to prove to a T. And so I understand. So I, I'm trying to say that there are uh, uh, two things that I, that it was very interesting to be involved in that conversation. Uh, for one, to realize that there were some things that I'm like, oh, I'd have to better actually source that. Two, I got to figure out how to better present information on the fly to differentiate between like what I'm 100% sure about and what I like makes sense in my worldview, but I understand is my opinion and you wouldn't be able to, like, I, I wouldn't be able to argue. And then also just trying to figure out how to be a little bit less serious and a little more funny. Uh, cause I'd just rather be in the funny lane that all of a sudden you find yourself like really arguing stuff and you're like, man, how, like on the COVID stuff, I was really well researched, but anyways, go check it out, you know, uh, blow them up in the comments, make them seem like I'm super famous. Everyone likes my political opinions. Uh, but I'd be, I think you guys might have also, I was sitting in a hot, uh, uh, like van in the middle of the desert after partying the night before and, you know, not really sleeping, which also like puts you on edge and maybe makes you a little bit more feisty than you otherwise would be. But honestly, uh, yeah, the other, uh, thank you. Hotem Graber is the, uh, is the co-host of that show. Oh, that's interesting. A bunch of you guys in the, in the, in the regulars in this chat, such as Buddy C. Buddy, Dave Sarah, uh, our regular listeners. So firstly, I think you guys would appreciate that show because they're exploring these topics and they have people of different opinions on and they're smart dudes. Uh, and so it's a different style of conversation. Uh, I'd also be curious to hear your guys's feedback of, uh, how I was at duking it out and what, like, here was one, like one of the things I said early and like, right after I said it, and you, you don't always get like opportunities to like retract things, but like right after, like, I like, I like double down on some things that like when I was listening back and I even said like, no, that's a hundred percent. And I just laughed when I said it. Cause I was like, ah, oh, that's some Alex Jones shit. But like early on, I had said that, uh, uh, Fauci got his career start, uh, in America with bioweapons development. And the second I said that I was like, I think I got that off the children's health defense website at one point. And that would be one of the things like, in other words, things that I read maybe on Alex Berenson about, uh, the way that, uh, vaccines were presented or information that I might've fact-checked. And I could really argue with you, with you and say to be a hundred percent correct. It might even be true that Fauci has done bioweapons research, and that's part of why he's interested in gain-of-function research. I can't say as an absolute that the reason he was able to have such a prolific career or that his career was kicked off because of a relationship with the, with the uh, defense industries that had him uh, leading bioweapons research. So I got to figure out how to make softer claims on the fly because I definitely just said like, no, no, his career was started with bioweapons research. And I'm not even saying that Fauci had nothing to do with bioweapons research or that that might not be part of his interest in gain of function. But that was like a little bit too bold of a claim. Um, I also got a little bit tripped up on my words in trying to describe uh, Ron DeSantis uh, and why I think he's a deep state character. And that's in part because of the time he sent and Gitmo. And I was very bold because I had been having a conversation the night before with uh, Scott Horton, where, uh, you know, I'd, I'd laid out my theory 
And that's the problem. Like Scott, he actually knows all this information. You can talk to Scott. He knows all of it. He knows all of it. And then you, you get emboldened because you were just hanging out with him and he knows all of it. And then you realize, well, he's not sitting right here. Oh, I'm not prepared for this conversation at all. And I think I mixed up that Durham had overlooked an incident where someone uh, had died while being tortured and DeSantis having defended that particular incident, um, which was just another just like, and then I, I just make his gnome call me out where he's like, you're ball, you're real deep on the conspiracy. I was like, no, this is a thousand percent fact checked. I'm the most right person ever, right person ever argue with me, which was uh, a little bit ridiculous. And uh, hey, it was a great conversation. I had a blast being on that podcast. I encourage you guys to go check it out. Leave some comments. Tell them how much you love me and uh, tell me what you guys think of the conversation. Also, I think my mic quality was particular bad for reasons unknown. Uh, but then also, you know, I took away both that we were like, one, I'd like to figure out how to be more in the funny lane. But two, I do think that it's uh, it's important to have to actually go argue with people with different opinions as your own, which maybe I'd like to do more off air so you can just figure out what you don't know and prepare yourself for being on air. And you just you can't do everything with your time. All right. Next, do have a couple more uh, topics that I wanted to get into. Um, oh, okay. We've got two articles that I want to read for you guys because also on. Oh no, wait, wait. I, I have what? I, shit. I have what? I one more thing that I wanted to say about uh, the uh, the podcast that I did with them, and this related to the conspiracy theory and the Mitt Romney video that I played in a little bit, and then it ties into these two articles that I'm about to read for you guys. Um, so there are certain times where I'm looking at actions and I'm drawing an implication that I can't prove, but based on everything I've seen and read seems accurate. And if you view government as uh, evil or inept makes sense. If you kind of give government the benefit of the doubt and you want people to prove to a T the fact that like, no, there actually have criminal or nefarious intentions, um, you're right. Sometimes like some, sometimes the things are unproven. And so here's what I actually think is interesting. The way that I look at like the more extreme conspiracy theories, such as the earth is flat. And I go, well, I don't really, I'm not prepared to have that conversation. I can't prove it one way or another. It seems weird to me that you would have that perspective. And so I'm just like, not that interested in having that conversation. I kind of picked up that I'm more of what to other people would be extreme positions about Fauci, particularly being evil and involved in, uh, uh, in like Fauci actually being evil and involved in a uh, gain of function research because it's for bioweapons reasons or that uh, there actually is a deep state that's pushing wars and that DeSantis is a part of it. Like some of these things that make sense in my worldview to other people who are not as much in our camp of government is evil to them. They want that to actually be proven. And so they kind of see it as conspiracy because they have more of an opinion where they're a little bit more accepting of the necessity of government. And so to them, those claims that kind of can't be proven to a T are the doors that they don't really want to open for the same reason that I feel that way about like the even more extreme things. And I, I, I now I, I have a little bit more appreciation for their perspective because I just kind of get where they're coming from, where it's like, well, we can't totally prove this. So like, why are we even having that conversation? I like, I understand why people, um, see it as annoying unless you have the very uh, specific receipts for it. Uh, but I do think that it kind of also falls into that Mitt Romney thing where you also leave people the ability to kind of hide behind, well, 
surely government should be allowed to have a conversation. And then me going, well, no, obviously they're going to intimidate. Well, do you have proof of the intimidation? Well, we know that there were the following. Yeah, but that wasn't them threatening. So to me, sometimes the implication is important of that if if government's able to behave in a certain way, it will uh, stretch the power that it's given you for evil. I don't know if I had the greatest clarity on that, but we're 51 minutes in and that's why we should do these important topics maybe uh, sooner. Uh, okay. So here are two articles that I was fascinated by because these are things that I bullshit on. There are so many topics that I bullshit on because they are just themes. They are things that make sense to me. And I would get caught on podcasts like that arguing, and I might not have the receipts for it. And so here we go. Gift right in the news were receipts for some of my crazy conspiracy theories. And so here, I'm going to read them live on air so that you guys are aware of it. And then if we end up in these arguments with people and we're trying to showcase just how evil government is, we'll be able to show up with the receipts. So this one, which now I'm displaying my not public email address. That's not that's not great. Hold on one second. Let me download and open this. Um, I mean, I guess you guys can email me at this email address, but I prefer robsnewsroom.gmail.com. That's a perfectly good email address that you guys can email me at. That that was that's a good one. Email me, robsnewsroom.gmail.com. I mostly respond to the emails over there. Don't email this email address because that's annoying. <laughs> All right. So here we go. I can reopen this uh this screen now. Uh, judge orders, this is from the New York Times, the release of three of Newberg for criticizing FBI. Judge Colin McMahon of the U.S. District suggested that the federal agency had invented a conspiracy. So I look at the FBI and I see an organization that has a narrative and they try and create their own news stories for that narrative. And so one of the examples to me was the entrapment in when they used to want to pretend like they were doing overwhelmingly uh, good work in preventing terrorism in the United States of America. So they needed stories of them preventing terrorism. And so they entrapped some people to pretend like they were going to go bomb some synagogues so that they could continue to go look at the good job that we're doing. And I look at what happened with those people out in the Michigans who are going to try and capture a, uh, a governor. Or I look at the storyline in January 6th, 6th of the overwhelming amount of racists. That's the problem in this country is the overwhelming amount of racists that don't respect the rule of law and the amount of money that went into tracking them down on Facebook. And then the conversation that was on Bill Maher about this is why we need a domestic terrorism title. And I see an organization that is willing, not just willing, I see them as like another branch of the news. I'm not talking about the entire FBI. But there's some unit in the FBI that goes, hey, we need news stories that showcases the threats that we're claiming exist so that we can have the budget to go police those threats. And if they could, I've said this before, people like me would probably be in jail. Hey, that's a domestic terrorist with no rights. And they've been spreading misinformation that would get in the way of us being able to create more news stories and trap more people and then have budget to go police more like-minded individuals. So here you go, the actual receipts, because otherwise this just sounds like stupid conspiracy theories. Judge orders release of three of Newberg four criticizing FBI. Judge Colleen McMahon of U.S. District Court suggested that the federal agency had invented a conspiracy. A federal judge on Thursday ordered the compassionate release of three Hudson Valley men who were a part of a group known as the Newberg Four after finding that the FBI agents had used an unscrupulous operative 
to persuade them to join a plot to blow up synagogues and bring down military planes more than a decade ago. The decision by Judge Colleen McMahon of United States District Court in Manhattan was scathing in its description of the methods used by the FBI in its pursuit of the three Anta Williams, Lagarde, Payne, and David Williams calling the plot in which they were convicted of participating in 2010 an FBI-orchestrated conspiracy. A person reading the crimes of conviction in this case would be left with the impression that the offending defendants were sophisticated international terrorists committed to jihad against the United States, Judge McMahon wrote. However, they were in actual reality hapless, easily manipulated, and penurious, uh, penurious, I don't know that word, petty criminals. Under the judge's orders, Anta Williams, David Williams, and Mr. Payne's sentences will be reduced to time served plus 90 days. They were sentenced in 2011 to at least 25 years in prison. During the trial, a fourth defendant, James Cormitty, was presented as being a key player in the plot, though Judge McMahon seemed most aggrieved by Saheed Hussein, a longtime FBI informant. He later became infamous as the owner of a down-market limousine company that rented a defective vehicle to a group of partygoers in 2018, leading to 20 deaths. In the Newberg case, this last paragraph will read. You guys can read the rest of this on your own. Judge McMahon wrote that Mr. Hussan, who Sheem described as a most unsavory, had lured Mr. Cormite in 2007 with promises of both heavenly and earthly rewards, including as much as $250,000 if he would plan and participate and find others to participate in a Jadis mission. After waffling for months, Mr. Cormite recruited the other three defendants, though none had any history uh, uh, as terrorists and instead were impoverished small-time grifters and drug users slash street-level dealers who could use some money. The three men were recruited so that Cromite could conspire with someone, she wrote. The real lead conspirator, conspirator was the United States. Was the United States. Last paragraph. Their plan, encouraged and orchestrated by Mr. Stain, was to bomb Jewish sites in the Bronx and fire Stinger missiles at military planes at Stewart Airport near Newburgh, New York. Bombs were, in fact, left outside two synagogues in the Riverdale section of the Bronx, but they were fakes built by the FBI. And I remember this. I remember when the story came out. I'd be like, holy shit, the FBI, they stopped people that were going to bomb synagogues. Holy shit, this thing is real. Maybe I don't remember that. And I'm just saying that now because it's convenient while I'm reading the article. Um, but there you go. This was something I talked about more than once. And then remember a couple weeks ago when I said, keep your retarded kids away from the FBI because he had that kid that they had send uh, them like $25 as if he was going to go to ISIS. And they called the FBI to try and rat out the FBI for trying to recruit people. And then he ended up getting uh, sentenced to, to jail time. Uh, so this has been a long running conspiracy theory of mine that the government will, in fact, um, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, I get distracted. And Nibs is funny. He said, I'm going to email Rob and tell him I'm gay. <laughs> I can respect that. Um, this has been a long running conspiracy theory of mine that the government will, specifically the FBI, create its own news so that, you know, it can pretend that threats exist and then. Uh, strip us of our freedoms in order to police those threats that it was able to create news about to say existed. And uh, here to me, New York Times federal judge seems to confirm that at least in that story, and the truth always comes out when it's too late. Once they get their agenda passed and it's irrelevant, that's when the truth comes out. That's why when whatever the fuck they were doing and trying to police terrorism in the United States of America, trying to push for tapping phone lines and whatnot, now that it's irrelevant, the truth can come out and these people don't have to sit in jail anymore. But as long as it's still relevant information, oh, we're going to need 57 years before we can release any of the COVID data. Sure, we can get approved in two months, but to share that data would take 57 years to share all that data. 
All right. So here was another news story. I don't even think I read the whole story. I just saw the headline. I was like, all right, we're going to have to talk about this on the show. So I've spoken about how I see them trying to push a carbon system on all of us that works like church penances, where you're going to have to pay from them to do shit that you're always doing. They're going to build a windmill and they're going to use as much carbon as they want when they build a windmill, or they're going to build a carbon reducing machine. And that carbon reducing machine might use three times the amount of carbon than it will reduce. But guess what? Because it's a carbon reducing machine, they're not going to count any of the carbon. So if you have to go to some other country, you got to build a mine, you got to have all sorts of kids dying in your mine, and then you got to have your shipping costs and you have to have a gasoline nuclear coal plant. That doesn't make sense. You got to have to have a coal plant right there that's going to burn the worst type of all coal and people are going to die building your machine. And let's just say it takes three times more carbon to build the machine than the machine will ever take out of the universe. Once you get it to the United States of America, well, look at you. You've got a carbon reduction machine and the rest of us are going to have to buy carbon credits from you because you reduce carbon. And we're going to point at the thing and go, that doesn't reduce carbon at all. It actually took three more. Well, that happened over there. We don't track that. This is a carbon reducing machine. And so I can see the system. I could see what they're looking to build which is a way for them to just make money off of shit that we were always able to consume, to regulate consumption. So here we go. Reuters, exclusive banks vote to limit accounting of emissions in bond and stock sales. So I saw with like uh, Gensler and what they were trying to do with the Fed, make the global warming a part of their mandate. And then try and create new accounting standards where you're going to have to like, uh, you know, actually make basically report on how much, uh, energy and emissions and other bullshit you're using. All right, Reuters. So this is uh, banks vote to limit accounting of emissions in bond and stock sales. Banks working to develop global standards on accounting for carbon emissions in bombs or stock sales underwriting have voted to exclude most of these emissions from their own carbon footprint. Three people familiar with the matter said. The majority of banks comprising an industry working group backed a plan earlier this month to exclude two-thirds of the emission linked to their capital market businesses from being attributed to them in carbon accounting, the source said. If upheld, the decision would pit banks against environmental advocates, many of whom say banking industry should assume full responsibility for the emissions generated by activities financed through bond and stock sales, as it already does with loans. Almost half of the financing provided by the six biggest U.S. banks for top fossil fuel companies came from capital markets rather than direct lending between 2016 and 2022. All right, you can read the rest of this article, but just that, just that little part right up top of banks working to develop global standards on accounting for carbon emissions and bond and stocks underwriting have voted to exclude most of these emissions uh, from their own carbon. Of course, of course, if I'm going to create rules about what everyone is allowed and isn't allowed to assume well, for some reason, if I'm the person financing all this stuff, then that shouldn't be responsible for me because I'm the one who actually had, they're going to figure out a way where their carbon, whatever is a hundred percent fine. This is just a way to regulate the rest of our lifestyles. And I see through it. If you like more stories like this, firstly, thank you to yokratum.com, home of the $60 kilo. They're the ones who make programming like this possible. Uh, and if you're into the marijuana products, they don't have marijuana, but they do got the Delta 8s. They can ship some gummies right to your door. Also, the uh, very handy and convenient vape pens. Use promo code RYM. You're going to get 20% off. And then this week, I am in Florida with Dave Smith. I've got Damia. 
I don't know, some other place, and then Tampa, uh, and then it, it is porch tour basically through to the end of September uh, with basically three shows every weekend in different locations, and then there's going to be Skank Fest, there's going to be a weekend in Mohegan Sun with Dave, uh, Tucson, and then November, I'm going to try and take a little bit of a break and maybe do an end of year thing. So anyways, guys, Summer Porch Tour, RobbieTheFire.com, or the better link is SummerPorchTour.com. You can see all the dates. I probably have something that's driving distance to you. These things are an absolute party. Please uh, come hang out. Come support the tour. That is our episode. Have a great day. Later. We're done.